Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. When he watches practice, we'll go up and down one or two times, and he'll stop it and talk about the 10 things he saw. While I'm looking, seeing two teaching points, he sees 10, and he specifically mentions each of them. His attention to detail is extraordinary. Welcome to 94 and More, presented by Bristol Studio. While a basketball court might be 94 feet, we believe it's limiting to solely look at this beautiful game as a sport. In our minds, it's closer to an art form, even a tool through which we can study the world and learn about ourselves. I'm your host, Jake Fenster, and on this podcast, we will explore the game of basketball, not only as a sport, but as a dynamic force that influences culture, builds bridges, and has the ability to shape our national conversation. Hope you enjoy. As always, feel free to reach out to us at 94 at bristol-studio.com and follow us on Instagram at Bristol Studio and at 94 and more podcast. All right, let's get into the show. Today, I'm here with Vic Law. Vic, how's everything going in Australia? Man, it's great, man. It's uh, another good sunny day. Blessing to be on the podcast again. Real quick, you've been on kind of a, a scoring tear and a winning tear these, uh, these last few games. What's going on? You doing anything different? Oh, man. Uh, I just got Carla out here in uh, Australia with me. Uh, Maybe she's bringing some good vibes, some good energy finally. But, uh, no, we um, – I think I started playing a lot better once we – you know, after we were on that uh, three-game losing streak. And uh, we had to kind of have bring it bring it kind of close – close in it again and uh, get back to the basics and, and start refocusing on our goals. Yeah, well, you guys are doing your thing. You're now in second place, right? Yep. In the ladder. Yes, sir. Soon to be, soon to be in first. Um, all right. Well, today our guest is Tino Malnati. Did I say your name right? Last name's right? Tino Malnati. Yeah, pretty Malnati. close. Got it. How are you doing? How's everything going? Doing well. Excited to be here. Are you're at Oklahoma, right? Are you still there? Are you yeah, still on uh, campus? Or? Graduate assistant for University of Oklahoma men's basketball team. So Amazing. we're uh, currently preparing for round two of the NIT St. Bonaventure on Sunday night. Okay, exciting stuff. How has that been for you? Uh, what has that experience been like? Maybe take us through how you even ended up at Oklahoma because you went to Northwestern, mm-hmm. played on the team there. So maybe start with uh, what brought you to Oklahoma. So actually, um, my dad was, has been a basketball coach uh, growing up my whole life. So I've always been around the game. Um, wound up getting the opportunity to walk on to Northwestern, get into a great education, meet some decent guys like Vic Law um, and some better guys, but – Vic was a good one Um, and just played there for four years. Um, My dad was still a coach and he was actually on the staff at Loyola Chicago for coach Porter Mosier's first two years. Um, And I wanted to get into coaching. Uh, So I knew coach Mosier pretty well. I knew another assistant at um, that just took the job at Oklahoma, uh, Matt Gordon. And it just so happened one of the assistant coaches at Northwestern wound up leaving for Oklahoma when Coach Mosier got the job. Um, and that's how I got here. Amazing. Take us through what that means exactly being like a graduate assistant coach. Yeah. So it's an entry level job. Uh, if you want to become a college or a pro coach, doesn't 
doesn't really uh it's just you want to get in the coaching um and it's a lot a lot of hours you're doing a lot of the uh dirty work that no one really else wants to do um and you're also in school at the same time so it's a big commitment but you're getting a lot of player development experience a lot of video experience a lot of on the court game coaching experience um but you just gotta put in the hours if that's what you want to do to become a college coach these days was there any period where it kind of hit you that you were no longer because you're still on the court right now you're a coach you're no longer a player was there a moment where it was kind of like a weird transition for you where you were like oh that's i'm not even in the lineup i'm not even there's no shot in hell i'm going in a game today i'm just sitting my ass on this bench um during the games not so much but preparing for the games uh preparing for road trip road trips is where when it really hits you because you're the one loading packing bags on the bus <laughs> looking after everything making sure everyone's at the team meal and just doing a bunch of bunch of bunch of stuff that just takes some time and when you're a player you just show up to the bus get on the road and everything's everything's made for you everything's ready to go and now you're the ones making sure everything's ready to go so that's a that's a bit of a change hmm. Tino, can you um, give uh, like the listeners kind of a, a realistic view of, of what the process looks like in becoming a coach? You know, I think a lot of people think, you know, maybe they play and then they can get on a staff when really it's not like that. You know, a lot of people have to go through being a GA, go through being like a, a video coordinator type of role and finally becoming a coach. So in, in your perfect world, can you take us through the process of what it looks like for Tino Malnati to become the next big coach? Yeah, well – Obviously, if you have a good college or pro career, that definitely helps just because you build connections and people know who you are and you get a little bit of a head start. Um, but if you don't have that, you really got to utilize your connections to hopefully like get into a graduate assistant position because there are a lot of people with basketball experience, without basketball experience that want to be basketball coaches. Um, and getting your foot in the door is really difficult. So once you get your foot in the door, you got to take advantage of it and just work super hard. But to get where I want to go, you got to, the big thing with, especially with college is that you got to meet people. You got to have good connections because that's really what it's all about. Just leveraging connections. What was, what was uh, your main question, Vic? I think I kind of ran off track a bit. What's uh, the process look like? Like yeah, after you become a GA, okay. like what's yeah. the process going on? So you, you got to do a good job. So year one, year two, finish your graduate assistantship and then hope you did a good enough job to where one of the assistant coaches you work with or one of the former um, coaches that you've had in the past will give you a position somewhere else and leverage those connections. And then once you take a step up, so another step up for me would be a video coordinator, which you help learn scouting reports, help with more with recruiting, putting recruiting videos together um, and just keep building relationships because to be a college coach, you got to have, be able to recruit players and recruit players. You got to have relationships and you can't leverage those relationships. You'll never be able to make it to where you want to go. Um, and my uh, second question would be, you know, you've had the, the pleasure of playing under coach Collins, but now being a little bit closer to the coaching staff, you're kind of working for Porter Moser, who has definitely established himself as one of the better uh, coaches in the country, obviously taking Loyola to the tournament final four and uh, getting their culture to where it is. Can you kind of give us an insight in like what uh, Porter's coaching style is like and how you kind of view him as a coach and some of the things you can take away? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's amazing. Um, when he watches practice, we'll go up and down one or two times and he'll stop it and talk about the 10 things he saw. While I'm looking, watching seeing two teaching points, he sees 10 and he 
specifically mentions each of them. His attention to detail is extraordinary. Um, if you are one step away from the right spot, he'll tell you to be in that one step away from that right, get in that right spot because all the details matter. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but at Loyola, he had, their saying was created by culture. When they went to the final four, they were wearing shirts that said created by culture. And they have a culture wall with a bunch of different terms. So coach, yep. he likes having these terms that are a couple words, a little phrase, and they mean something so much more. I can show you guys a picture if you're interested. Um, yeah, definitely. But such as never be three in a row, six eyes, six arms, um, a bunch of different words. You look at it, you have no idea what it's saying, but it means something and all the players know what it means. So now from created by culture at Loyola in our film room at Oklahoma, it's creating our culture with a big Jordan insignia on it. And the wall's still there in our practice gym. We just did some renovations. And if you look around, you see every single saying on the wall. Um, and all those sayings build up to what makes his coaching style so great and what he believes. Um, and all those little things. That's why you, when you watch a Loyola team or last year, and hopefully our team at Oklahoma this year, as we're trying to establish our culture, you see all these little things that they do super, super well, which makes them such a great team. I think that's really fascinating. And I think to that point, right, what you're talking about is a coach who clearly has developed his coaching style. He understands, you know, what he's looking for, but also how to communicate on a really high level where it boils down to some key phrases, but those key phrases create this culture that everyone buys into mm. and creates moments like Loyola Chicago making a run or, mm. you know, building that at Oklahoma for the future. I'm very curious what your thoughts are maybe on, you know, your early stages as a coach, but are there things that you think um, you could be, could be your specialty, you know, going forward, things that you find uh, maybe you've noticed in yourself as you've been out there and learning just bits and pieces and nuggets are there things that you kind of find in yourself? Like, Oh, I think I'll be a really good defensive coach. Like, I think that's the angle for me, or maybe more on offense, or is there anything that's sticking out to you as of now that you think you, you have like an interest in and could be the thing that ultimately sets you apart? Yeah. Well, um, with coach Mosier, like at Loyola, they had the best transition defense last year in its history for points per possession. They get the fewest in history. And then they had a top 10 defensive team last year. And he teaches so many little things and so many key teaching points um, where I'm going to have a head start with my defense and my defensive philosophy. And also going back to Northwestern, um, one of our assistants, Billy Donlin, who Vic was under, he had some, he was super, super intelligent um, and how to read things defensively and key teaching points. So I think defense is definitely going to be where I'll have a head start. Offensively, there's a lot to learn. Um, and it also depends on the type of players you have. Um, but you take away stuff from Coach Collins. Like Coach Collins is such a competitive dude. Uh, he had so many set plays that help us get good, good looks. Um, but the main, the main thing that I've learned is that to be a great coach, you got to be yourself. Like Coach Collins mm -hmm. is that competitive dude. Coach Moser is another competitive dude. Um, but they got like, there's key differences in being true to yourself and who you are. Cause if you try to be someone you're not, the players aren't going to respond. So you got to find ways to connect with them on a daily basis by them buying into who you are as a person before you get into that co coaching philosophy, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. 
I think that's, I mean, I think Vic can kind of, you know, you both played college basketball. I think Vic can speak to that probably, you know, better than anyone mm -hmm. having been recruited by college coaches, having, you know, you test people out, you, you're looking for their character. You want to understand who you're about to be with for the next four years, hopefully. So I do think there's an extreme importance there. I don't know, Vic, if, if anything sticks out to you when he brings that up, but um, I feel like it's I mean, very important. No, I think Tino is uh, definitely right. I think in terms of, you know, I don't really want to become a coach, but I think if I did, I, I would be pretty successful. I, I don't know in some of the things that I've learned and just all the coaches I've played for. I feel like um, building a certain chemistry and relationship with your players allows you to, you know, foster a culture a little bit better. You know, once your players can really respect you and and trust, like, in what you're doing and, and who you are, I think they'll um, – you know, I, I just think that in life, that's just, you know, how people work better. But speaking of defense, though, uh, going back to Loyola, Chicago, they just lost Ohio State 54 to 41. An absolute <laughs> barn burner on the defense game. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a defense game. That was far and away the lowest scoring game in the in the tournament so far. And I know uh, Coach Valentine had, the, had those boys over there playing, all, you know, that pack line defense, not letting anything get to the basket. So it's funny that you said defense and – and how culture kind of translates over because I know Loyola is definitely still, you know, keeping up with their their fundamentals. And when I would go and watch practice, it, it definitely seemed like defense was their staple. Um, when, when I kind of look, think about you, Tino, I feel as though when you become a coach, I feel as though you'll be more of an offensive guy. But maybe you, you can tell me something different. Um, well, my team will definitely have to run, the, run their stuff correctly and be a high intelligent, <laughs> high IQ team. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like defense is where I've learned the most. I've had the most coaching expertise through defense. Because um, offense, there's so many things you can do, and they all kind of work. Defense, it's kind of the, it's the same idea based on your personnel. Um, but you have some things, no matter the personnel, like they could, that could definitely work, in my opinion. Right. Um, so that's why I, I got to go with the defense. They're going to win games. So I think that's an interesting transition point. And I want to bring up the tournament because we're right in the middle of March Madness and we're on the second day. Um, and it's just chaos. Every year, it's chaos. You know, a, a two loses to a 15. Uh, they're nailed well, hold on, Jake, before you, even, before you even get to that chaos, we got to talk about the chaos. Oklahoma didn't even freaking make it. Oh, Crazy. true. True. You're talking, so, you're yeah, talking about happened? chaos. Oklahoma didn't sneak in. Yeah, what happened? Take us to what happened. So we were uh... – Throughout the year, we were looking pretty good. And then we hit a rough patch when we got to the Big 12 play just because the conference is so deep. I think we lost 12 of 14. Um, oh. And then we were just on the outskirts looking at the picture, heading into our last three games of conference. Um, wound up winning those three games of conference. We were still on the outside looking in, headed into the Big 12 tournament, and we were matched up with Baylor. So in our heads, we thought, okay, if we get Baylor, maybe we can squeak into the tournament. Wind up beating Baylor in the Big 12 tournament. Huge win. But according to Lenardi and the, the experts, we were still like the first or second team out. And then we mm -hmm. played Texas Tech the next day. And Texas Tech, like Baylor and Texas Tech, those are two of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, Baylor's a one seed, Texas Tech's down a three seed. And we get down to the last possession and lose at the last second to Texas Tech. If we won that game, we would have made it. Obviously, some games earlier in the season oh. you can point to. Um, mm -hmm. But – so tough. Then the NCAA does its uh, 
uh, selection Sunday, and it says we're the second team out. And it's just – Did you guys team. have a uh, like a viewing party for that? Yeah, so we had um, – we got our guys – we got well, – not a party. wouldn't say it a party. Everyone got together. Yeah. Uh, they gathered. We had food for them. Um, but it was just tough because, I mean, you, you, know, you think, you know, as a player, like you only get so many yeah. chances. When you're a coach, you get a lot more. So it might not hit the same way, but when you're a player and you're watching that, all your dreams and there's so you put so much hard work into it and you feel like you deserve it. Cause all Ken Palm, the, um, the NCAA has its own rank yeah. called the net. And we were top four, we were 30 in the Ken Palm and 40 in the net. And you see these teams like Rutgers that was 77 and both get in over you. Um, and then these mountain West conferences, they get in over you and they go over four in the tournament. And you're like, what the heck? Like we play yeah. Baylor, Texas tech, Kansas. I was like so many tough teams have such a tough schedule. Um, like wh- what do you want us to do? We're going to have some losses. Cause we play a tough schedule. Um, so that was tough, but now on the NAT, the only way to show the uh, selection committee, they made the wrong decision. If you go out and win it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's their mindset. Hopefully we get the Madison square garden and cut down the nets, but so we're hoping. No, that's that's tough, and, and I think you're you're onto something there. I think it is tough that part of it is like conference. Obviously, you know, certain teams mm-hmm. get in just by winning their conference. Um, and you look at some of these teams that obviously it's, it's exciting because you have these Cinderella stories. But it's tough for you know in Oklahoma, right? Like you're talking about a team that's in a conference that's very deep, mm-hmm. and you got to fight every night. And even if you are maybe a better team than a lot of these teams, you still don't get that yeah that chance. And I'm curious from a coaching perspective, and I know, again, you're, you're new to this part and you have some experience as a player. How do you explain some of these games where like you'll have a, you know, Duke and Cal State Fullerton are playing right now. Duke's mm-hmm. up 10 points. And I'm not mm-hmm. knocking the caliber of players on Cal State Fullerton, but the fact that that's even a game is, is kind of remarkable, right? Like in a sense, um, what would you say are some of those things that, you know, in general that, once you're in a March Madness tournament, it it's all about matchups. It's all about uh, style of play. It you know anything can really happen. What are some of those things that you kind of think can contribute to a team you know having a Cinderella upset? I mean, I think especially over the last couple of years, like people are getting so good in basketball. Like these low major teams that were once getting smacked, um, yeah. and like the one fifth, the one sixteen, two fifteen games, like the St. Peter's team had some kids who hitting some crazy shots. Like yeah. that, like those dudes are still some ridiculous basketball players. And the talent level is just getting to a point where anyone could be anyone. Um, but then also the pressure that comes along with it is definitely plays a part, the momentum. Um, and then kids are just playing their hearts out and you know, ne- it, it's March. You never know what can happen. It's been like that. It's just, it's wild. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Well, it's, I think, really I think not. another big reason though is the maybe not the one c right like maybe not the but the any anywhere from like the even the two as we just saw but anywhere from like the three to the six those are like good high major schools but the teams that are getting matched up with are always like very yeah. very good mid-majors like they're they're not like just teams that are bad right and i think yeah. people get confused because they see the school names and they're like oh you know, they can't be good. But then if you look at their body, like the season that they've had, this team is like either all seniors or they're only lost four games. They won their, you know, regular season championship. Then they won their tournament, you know, the conference championship. And it's just like 
you're not playing a bad team. You're playing a team that's very good, that's very solid in what they do. And if you don't come ready to play, this is the exact team you don't want to play. Yeah. Like, and we all know it, like, in a, in a you know, non-conference, you play these teams that are very, very good. Maybe they don't have, like, a lot of notoriety behind their names, but they're very good in what they do. They've historically been good. And then you come up against these teams, especially in the tournament, when it's 0-0 and, you know, anything goes. And, you know, I, I just think some of these schools are just looking past and looking to, like, Sweet 16 or whatever, and you really got to take it one game at a time, especially when you get in these tournament situations. So, so I think that that's interesting. So going back to your guys' experience and, and Vic, and, you know, you have talked about this before, but once you get in, what is that initial mindset? You know, is it really like – because Northwestern is an underdog. No one had Northwestern mm-hmm. making a tournament, let alone winning a game or anything like that. It, it, being competitive is not – in people's minds, unless they're Northwestern right. fans and believe in the school and have school spirit. What is that like amongst a team that's been together, worked hard, finally getting that opportunity? What are you really like feeling in that moment before you head into that tournament when you're matched up with a juggernaut or someone you're not supposed to play? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure Chino can talk about it too, but, you know, especially for Northwestern being our first time getting in, it was um, definitely a surreal feeling. But I felt like our group had – we just felt like we had – we deserved to be there. Like, I don't think we were, like, surprised or shocked at any point to be, like, we're a tournament team. I think we knew we were very good. And then getting into the tournament, like, we, for lack of a better term, like, licking our chops to, like, play these teams because we thought, like, yo, we're very good. You know, like, we are – can't wait to show on a national stage, like, how good we think we actually are. You know, that year we went to the Big Ten semifinals. We beat Maryland who, you know, was a favorite. Like, we were beating very good teams and then getting in. It's just funny how the tournament worked that year for us. Like, we beat Vanderbilt on, like, a last-second, like, foul play. And no one ever really talks about that because it's a Gonzaga game. Then you win that game, right, and that's awesome because that's the first win in school history. Then you play a team like Gonzaga, and, like, I I think it just, like, everything goes out the window because you're, like, look, like, we're playing with house money. No one expects us to win. Like, no one really – gave us credit to be here and we're like, we want to come out and like knock these guys back because, you know, you can only imagine they, they don't really know what to expect. And in the tournament, you only get like a day to prepare anyway. So you're not really like scouting teams. Like you kind of just got to go out there and play and it's whoever's better that day, to be honest, you know, it was a close game against the Zaga, but you know, I was, I was super excited and like motivated during every game. The tournament. Yeah. And off of Vic's point, for some of these smaller schools that go and they win their tournament, like when you go through that much success, it kind of galvanizes the group when you head into the tournament. So you guys, our Northwestern team, we were fortunate to be super tight knit through pretty much the whole year. Yeah. So there wasn't that same type of galvanization. At, but when you win that tournament, everyone's together celebrating, happy. You just feel like you can beat anybody. So when you hear your name yeah. gets called, the group's so together that – you go out there, you play 40 minutes of basketball and anything can really happen. And also to Vic's point, the first 20 minutes of that Gonzaga game, we weren't thinking we can win. The last 20 minutes, things changed a little yeah, bit. No, no, yeah, <laughs> for sure. They, they came out uh, pretty hot on us the first, first half. Yeah, we, we were a little bit scared to knock back the first half, but then I we think, got Vic Law the ball, shooting some trays. Really, I think it's just so fascinating, uh, the mental aspect of the game. Right? Like What you guys are talking to, uh, talking about is – finding that motivation, right? That inner motivation and trusting that, riding that into a tournament where anything can happen, but not just, not just saying that, but like fully believing it and then performing. 
because there are a lot of people that make it to the tournament that might have everything we're talking about. They might have the talent. They might have the close-knit team. They might have the coaching. But then they get to the tournament, and it hits them, right? It's too big or whatever happens or the team is, is outperforming them. Uh, but I just think that that mental aspect, what you guys are talking about, is really, really fascinating. And I don't know if there's a moment for you guys that you can think back on where you kind of you go back to it and think, man, when that happened, we knew like no matter what happened that season, our team, Northwestern, is different. Like this team is ready for any moment. We really can do anything. Like, was there a specific moment that kind of sticks out when you guys think back to that run? I think when we beat Texas, to be honest, in the Barclays Center, uh, and then had that super close game against Notre Dame, you know, RIP, my man, Nate Chapman, we're not going to talk about that turnover in <laughs> the two game, but we, we, had, we had some games, like some really good teams. Um, and like some, some, honestly, some really big like failures yeah, that like made us so close. Yeah, like that just I made did. us so close, right? Like we, like we're in the game. We had a, beat, a really good team. We were like right in the game with them, and then something just mind blowing happens at the end. Like Indiana, you know, it just it's just funny like how it worked. We had these you know these failures that just brought us even tighter together. Um, but for me, I think it's when we beat Texas, like Blue Texas out in the, uh, in the Legends Classic or whatever. Yeah, completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. It was like the first ranked win. We blew them out by like 20. Yeah. Wasn't even yeah. close. Everyone started believing. That's exciting. I mean, I, I think that what you just said also is um, one of my favorite things. I think you learn more from your failures than success a lot of times and um, not being afraid to fail, but also having the ability to fail and reflect and grow and use that going forward, I think, I think that's big, especially in, in basketball. Like one of my favorite Phil Jackson quotes is, I think uh, he said, don't lose, let's not lose two in a row. And it had nothing to do with the actual outcome of the second game, but it was after a loss, how you respond mentally is even more important than what just happened. And I think that is when you really learn and really find yourself, um, you know, in a special in a special moment, like the one that we're talking about when you guys found, you know, got it all together and made it to the tournament for the first time in, yeah. in school's history. Um, but I want to take this to the tournament now and maybe go through some of our picks. I know you guys have brackets. Is there anything from the first round that, like, you just got completely wrong or stunned you? Without a doubt, St. Peter's. St. Peter's? St. Peter's beating Kentucky. I know a lot of people at Kentucky in the Final Four or whatnot, but they have – I mean, Kentucky has some of the best transfers in college basketball. They have 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds playing, and they're the best <laughs> at what they do. And they just – St. Peter's came out and just made shots and just beat them. Like, that's that's just crazy. As a 15 seed, yeah. beat some pros, some top talent in the country. It's crazy. Well, I didn't – I wasn't really expecting much out of Kentucky anyway. But I had Iowa in the Elite Eight. So, you know, Oof. for them to, to be as hot as they were in the Big Ten tournament and absolutely wallop Northwestern. And then come out and lose that first game was ridiculous to me. I, I had Iowa as my like big. It was Iowa and Purdue as I had the two teams holding it down for the Big Ten in the tournament this year. Going back to what you said, you know, uh, Kentucky. Do you think that has anything? Because I think everyone talks about Kentucky being the one and done. You know, that's the one and done mm -hmm. program. They just pump out. That's changed lot. now, though. It it has it has for sure. But do you think there's anything about that that might have contributed in any way to? To that, or that just is a full-out St. Peter's just showed up unafraid, came together, and, you know, surprised everybody? Well, part of the 
I mean, they have one and dones, and they also have transfers, which may, like Vic was talking about, um, the togetherness of a team. When you have one-year guys, maybe that the togetherness of the team isn't the same. Um, and St. Peter's, I'm not sure about the roster, but I believe they had they had been there for a few years. Guys developed together, um, and you can bet deal with adversity a little bit differently. Because when you watch the game, Kentucky just went one on one, and guys are just throwing up shots trying to do it themselves. Um, so maybe that plays a part of it. But I mean, Texas today, they have a bunch of transfers. They wound up winning their game. Um, so I, I don't really know. Like, yeah, who, I can't I can't tell you right now. Maybe a couple more years after the transfer portal, there's more data to reflect on. Um, gotcha. But definitely could have. Now, who do you guys have winning the tournament? What are your picks? And who are they? Who are they playing? And what's the score? Make your prediction here. Hold on. I got it. Well, my final four teams are Tennessee, Arizona, Gonzaga, and Purdue. We look at right. I can't believe Illinois is losing to Chattanooga right now, though. I have Chattanooga, so I'm I'm praying. I'm praying. Because <laughs> if I hit uh, that, if if I do that, I might win my bracket this year. How far do you have Chattanooga going? Uh just this round, but I'm I'm like in a close battle right now. And I think I'm the only one that has that, which will give me a huge bump. Um, cause like everybody else already, like their total points are way lower than mine. So I get that. Yeah. And the other picks fall the same way for everybody. I think that'll be big for me. If Chattanooga wins this game, so many Illinois fans, I, I want to hear the end of it on Twitter. It would be. <laughs> yeah. It will. Is, is this their, nah, they made tournament, uh, while there, they lost Loyola, right? Last year they won their first game as the one seed after winning the big 10 championship and got curb stomped by Loyola. I have a couple things that I will know about my bracket. I have Michigan. Uh, I had Michigan winning. Where are they? You think Michigan's going to beat Tennessee? I have Michigan beating Tennessee, which is just probably not going to happen. <laughs> but I went, I went with it. I went with it. I was feeling like Jawan Howard's back as the coach. They're all feeling it. They're, you know, maybe they pull something okay. out. Um, the other one I don't feel good about is UCLA. I'm a UCLA fan. My dad screams at the TV. He even turned it off last night because it was so horrible. And I had to tell him they won. Oh, uh, yeah, they almost uh, lost to Akron. I don't feel good about them good. at all. They put, almost lost St. to Akron. Is good. Well, St. Mary's is good. They play St. Mary's next. St. Mary's yeah, is good. I don't feel good about them at all. They look kind of sluggish and lazy. Um, so okay. that's the other one I'm kind of worried about, and I have them going pretty far. I think I have them in my Elite Eight. And then my final four is Gonzaga, Purdue, Villanova, and Auburn. Now, let me just say this. I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to college basketball. So mm-hmm. it could work. It could not work at all. And then Gonzaga plays Villanova for the championship and Gonzaga wins 68 to 62. All right. You have Gonzaga actually winning a championship this year. I do. I do this year. Yes. Okay. I know that that's and like what makes the you favorite, think? but. What makes I you think this is the year? They're the favorite every year. I know. Whenever I watch Timmy though, I watched him play uh the game yesterday he was unstoppable he i watched him have 24 points or whatever it was in the second half and he just looked so easy they had two guys on them they're trying to double him, just couldn't stop him and then the the freshman whatever chet holmgren mm-hmm. that guy doesn't make sense he's killing he, he kills just, the last he, game he had eight blocks or so he had what 17 18 and eight i don't know i, I haven't seen that in a while so i just feel like and they have some returning guys who've been there. I just, I kind of feel like they're a safe pick. So with my bracket, my big trends 
is that I'm very anti Big Ten and very pro Big Twelve. Might be a little biased. There's only now. five Big Twelve yeah. teams in there, too. No. I got four of them in the Sweet Sixteen. They're all going. They're all going. Um, but my final four, I got the Zags, Purdue, Arizona, and then Kansas. And have Gonzaga being Arizona, the uh, Tommy Lloyd last year coached for Gonzaga, and now he's taken over Arizona. So a little head coaching matchup between him and Few, 83-87, a high-scoring affair. Mm. Uh, Tim, wow. me and you almost have the exact same final four. You just have uh, – I, I don't know. I have Tennessee in there. Um, and so I forget who you have. Kansas? Yeah, you have Kansas. I have Tennessee. Yeah, I got, I got, you got to get a Big 12 team in there. Did you guys watch mm. San Francisco play? Yes, that game was that amazing. game was crazy. Who was the the guy? How you say his name? Boye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty six, right? Dude, he was hitting some incredible shots. That game was fun. I love March Madness. It's the best thing. Oh, it's time, it's time, time to be time to be alive, man. It's the time to be alive. It's chaos. I'm, gonna, I'm actually say something funny. Yeah, I remember early in my college career when we weren't good, you know, yet we were still struggling, you know, still coming up. Yeah. The, some of the best time of the year was St. Patty's Day in Chicago, where you can go down to the bars and watch the games and enjoy all the festivities. Bar none, some of the best, some of the best moments of my life, right there. But so, nothing compares to when we actually were good. Yeah, and we're playing. It's important to say that. Instead of in the bars, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather take playing than being in the bars, but good <laughs> consolation being in the bars. <laughs> Glad you cleared that up. Nick, yeah, I'm no, wondering, in, in Australia, is there any March Madness? Do people care at all, even know what's going on? Yeah, so a lot of my teammates went to college. Yeah. Um, I have some St. Mary's guys that went to college, uh, you know, went to St. Mary's on my team. Um, and a lot of them, like, make brackets and, you know, uh, watch the games pretty closely. But as, like, a country, I don't, I don't really think, like, it's that big. AFL, which is Australian football, mm-hmm. just started um, – Oh wow! Like this past weekend, so I, I think that like is taking a lot of precedent. But they still show the games like here and there. Like you go to a bar and and one of the games might be on, but it's definitely not as big as it is in uh, in America. Gotcha. But the fact that it's like even on like randomly on t- some TVs here yeah. is, is pretty impressive. Okay, Vic, you want to ask him our uh, famous question? Oh man! Um, no, you know what? No. I'm, I'm going to switch it up. Tino, what was what was your um, your favorite win this year? Was it? Did you guys beat Texas? Favorite win this year? No, we lost to Texas at the buzzer once. Uh, well, um, well, hold on. Did you play? Please tell me you played the little GA game. Did Jordan also okay, play? Okay, I got a story for you. I got a story. Yeah. For you. So, so, um, friend of the program Ben Skronik was in a Super Bowl, right? Oh yeah, yeah. you were there. So, I got lucky enough. Um, to take a flight to go to the game. I got back from the game at about 10 o'clock PM. My flight got back. I get a text from my manager saying, Hey, we're playing Texas. Cause we played them the next day at 11 PM straight off the flight. You know, wasn't in a great headspace. It was a long night the night before celebrating the victory, go straight, straight to the gym. And sure enough, Jordan Ash is running, running the show for Texas, Calling out plays, yelling at his guys. You know Jordan, strong voice, yelling yeah, at his yeah, guys, yeah. making sure everyone in check. And they uh, they beat us, but I had a plus minus. I wasn't there for the first ten minutes of the game, so my thirty minutes was a positive plus minus. So I think we basically won. <laughs> did you outscore Jordan? Jordan didn't really shoot, so I think I did. He was a more of a facilitator. 
more of a facilitator. There you go. Well, we'll take that. You, you may have lost the war, but you might have won the battle. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. No, <laughs> it's not out Jordan. Big win today for Texas. No, it was. Who do they, who do they have next? Um, Purdue. I think. Oh, uh, yeah, I got Purdue rolling. I got Purdue in the final. Chris I got old Matt Painter getting those boys ready. He's going to rely a lot on Jordan for that Big Ten scout. Yeah. I bet. You know, appreciate you, man. Good luck with the rest of the NIT. We're, we're pulling for you. At least I am. I can't speak for Vic, but I imagine. No, no, he I is. Am. Okay, so we're both pulling for you. Um, appreciate you taking the time to do this and hope to have you back soon. Awesome. Appreciate Thanks you. Thanks, All right. Take care. Peace. This podcast is presented by Bristol Studio. Sound editing by Rashad Allen. Music by James Grissom. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.